Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to another week of the Recruitment Flex. This is a special crossover show with the Chad and Cheese podcast. So Shelly is, I think, recording with Chad as we speak. And Poor girl. Unfortunately, Poor I got girl. the less talented of the co-hosts on Chad and Cheese. But the way more attractive. Way well, more was, attractive. I was going to say that, Joel. <laughs> the way better looking. And you actually just showed us your hair. So you have some, which is definitely an issue. I do have hair. And I am I am younger than Chad. Uh, little, known, little known fact, maybe for you guys and uh, listeners of our show. Chad and I were born in the same year, same month, one day apart. Really? Wow. May twenty May twenty seventh and twenty eighth. And I'm the twenty eighth, so I will forever be younger than Chad Sowash. Can I, I tell you this? Never you miss look, an opportunity to remind him of that. You look way younger. You look like at least at least ten years younger. So. Oh, at least ten. That's what I'm talking about. Exactly. Hey, welcome. No, you're not you're not talking about ten pounds. You're talking about ten years, right? No, no, you definitely weigh more than ten pounds more than I don't I'm think t- there's I'm tall. I'm taller too. I got to throw that in. I'm taller. Are you taller? I can't too. see. I like, I yeah. can't tell from your voice. Um, definitely. I think he looks taller actually. I think it's just his slimness makes you look taller. His thinness makes me look <laughs> taller. Sure. I'll go with it, but I, I am mathematically taller than Chad. So well, did you like that intro? Are you insulted by me not calling you the more talented? You're definitely the best looking. No, one. this is great. This is great for me because with the crossover, I don't have to talk to Chad this week. So yeah. uh, I'm I'm a few beers into this and I'm ready to go. Pretty special episode. Uh, first of all, because we have you. Um, love having Shelly with Chad. We're both, I think we're both getting rid of our partners in the sense that I, I'm okay. I'm kind of sick of Shelly. So I think this is a good break for me in that sense. Uh, rather deal with American in this case, because Shelly is, you know. Yeah, we, we've been doing some shows on burnout and sort of COVID pandemic uh, mental health issues. And I can say I've been feeling those health issues with Chad since about 2017. So about I'm really ramping this up. And in, in all honesty, though, uh, working virtually and never getting out and seeing people face to face, you tend to focus so much on work. And not how's your family, how are the kids, how's the wife, husband, whatever. And uh, I, I miss so much just being at a bar with people I know, talking whether it's sports, weather, industry stuff. And I can't wait uh, to get out. And and God bless America, we're we're finally getting it and getting arms with needles together. And uh, they've got a, a end of May end of May date for everyone uh, that wants to get vaccinated can get vaccinated. So the, the summer of love is coming and I'm ready. Do you have your hot summer body ready or is I've got the uh, KY and the condoms ready for my summer of love. (laughs) Let's do this. (laughs) All right. Well, you know, we're fucked here in Canada. I doubt we'll have the vaccine before. Yeah. How's that socialized medicine working for it to be said for bloodthirsty capitalism? Yeah, sometimes it helps. It sometimes does help. it helps. My wife is Canadian, for those who don't know. So I have a very special place in my heart. I have family in Canada. I'm sporting a Canada hat for people listening. I've got a toque on the ready if, if it gets cold. So uh, I love Canada. You're all ready. Perfect. Well, how about we introduce our guest who is from Canada or lives in Canada? Not originally. Not originally. Go ahead. But it's, 
his 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 head is in Canada, but his heart is in New Zealand. It's the Vancouver recruitment gangsta, Brian Thompson, uh, co-founder of Rectex, which I think we'll talk about a little later. And he does a myriad of recruiting jobs on the side. Brian, do you have a Foster's logger in your hand? And are you ready to podcast? So I do have a beer with me, but you know, it's not even 12 o'clock here in Canada in uh, Vancouver. So it's five o'clock somewhere, my friend. <laughs> it's not, I've been into the non-alcoholic beers recently. Um, I don't try, I try not to drink during the week. There's a, there's some really good non-alcoholic beers out there right now. And, um, you know, I think it's they're pretty good. I'd recommend that you go out and explore them. Heineken has the Heineken zero, which is actually pretty good. Um, the one I'm drinking now actually is, is Budweiser um zero and it's i prefer i don't love budweiser as a beer personally like i don't like the taste i think it's too sweet but the zero is actually um one of the top non-alcoholic beers that uh, i've tried so i i like these i'm gonna go on a limb are you a millennial brian born in 83 what does that make me yeah you millennial are. yes yeah <laughs> enjoy that zero percent alcohol that's good <laughs> I, I just saw the face of disappointment on Joel when you were saying that. Brian, <laughs> it must be like our, you know, like for my generation, my grandfathers that all drank, you know, hard, you know, Jack Daniels and Jim Beam and looked at the generation after drinking, you know, uh, Pabst or uh, the champagne of beers, uh, Michelob <laughs> or like, this must be how I feel looking at millennials drinking 0% alcohol. Like, what's the fucking point? No, right. That's just me. That's just me. But Brian, yeah, I'm not I, judging I at all. I'm not judging at all. We're in Canada. We don't Canadians, drink Canadians don't smoke judge. weed. Um, so <laughs> it's fine. And then so like how do you guys coffee. know each other? Actually, you guys know each other. Like, tell me a little bit of the story about how you guys came to know so each other. So I'm gonna I'm gonna this should have been part of my intro. So I'm gonna uh this is how I met Brian and his his partner Brad, meaning like business partner, not uh, other types of partners that we could talk about. Uh, speaking of Canada. Uh, so we're at a, what was the event? It was in Tennessee. It was in Nashville. I think it was recruiting, uh, fat, recruiting, not recruit, yeah, recruit X or something. Yeah. Anyway, it's not important. Technology. It's not important. Yeah. So the, the, all these conferences have after hours events and this particular one was a bourbon tasting. Holy shit. Chad and I are there obviously. And we see these two dudes uh, sipping. We, I strike a conversation, I think. And we just get to talking about what they're doing. And they're starting this company called Rectext. And it's uh, text recruiting, basically. Uh, this has been a passion of mine for a long time, for those who know me. So we started talking. And, and we love startups. We love you know tech and, and texting and all that stuff. So we ended up after sampling some bourbon and closing down the bar. And we said, I said, do you guys like spicy chicken? Do you like Nashville hot chicken? And they either said yes or were willing to to take the dive. So we went, we took an, an Uber to Hattie B's. If you've been to Nashville, you got to go to Hattie yeah. B's, which is Nashville hot chicken. Uh, and we ate hot chicken. We ate super hot chicken and flaming hot chicken and had a good time. And uh, we eventually left saying we should, we should do something together. So in the course of the months after, uh, I became an advisor to the company I meet with these guys on a regular basis. Uh, they know my wife now, which scares me a little bit, but uh, <laughs> they're, they're basically family. So that's that's how we met. And that's how the world works, right? Like you you, you get out there and you meet people and friendships are made. Totally. Yeah, so that was Brian, a, that was... did you know who Chad and Cheese were before you met them? 
Yeah, actually, I I did. Um, okay. I had listened to a couple of their podcasts, um, you know, within the the year before meeting them, and and um, reading through the transcripts of the podcast sometimes as well, which I found really uh, was really good. Um, and so I really like the the content, the snark, and um, and I've also read some of Joel's um, publications that he he'd done some writing on some of the some of the um, HR tech type type uh, online forums, et cetera. So I knew of Joel and uh, yeah, that was a good day because that was actually the day that we launched Rectext. We were, we went live that day um, officially to um, the public. And so that evening, Brad and I were celebrating with uh, all that bourbon. And then I just, yeah, we struck up a conversation with Joel and uh, Chad, it was a good night. And I think we ended it by hugging. We, we had a nice hug at the end of it. It was, yeah, it was beautiful. I, I don't remember that, but if you remember <laughs> that, then... Uh, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's ingrained it's a hell of a hug. You know, it's funny because Joel has been around forever. Like I've been reading Joel on ERE.net. That's how I first came to know your name. Um, had no clue then Chad and Cheese fell uh, into podcasts I was listening and, and getting to HR. Um we're huge think, in Canada, obviously. Yeah, you're, you're massive in Canada, Joel. So just there. How about we jump into our topics? We have a ton of topics. And I think the first topic I want you to introduce because you're the only American on this yeah. show. So I want to test your Canadian TV trivia. Yeah. So we uh, we met before the show and said, hey, what should we talk about? And I said, we got to throw in some pop culture. We got to throw in music comedians tv like how does that break down movies canadian versus us uh and it's your show so you you pick tv well the other option was canadian heartthrobs but then i'm like we can go, we can go into wherever you want uh we had a good talk about comedians canadians think they ought, they have a monopoly on funny people but uh, i think i set you straight on that yeah, one you did. um so so television shows i think it was what's your favorite canadian uh either Produced in Canada, takes place in Canada, has Canadian themes. Um, Schitt's Creek, obviously, hugely popular. Uh, Letter Kinney was kind of on your list. And my my short story about Letter Kinney is uh, Chad loves Letter Kinney. And I was like, oh, let's give it a shot. You know, my wife's from Canada. Let's see how it goes. So we watched one episode um, and it's 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 West Canada, right? It's more West or Central Canada. No, no, it's, it's Central. It's Ontario. Well, c- Central. Okay. Okay. So anyway, she hated it. She's like, it's way too stereotypical. It's way like, she just didn't like it. And I thought as a Canadian, she would love it. She did not. So, uh, I have not watched, I didn't really like it that much either. Uh, I probably would if I gave it a chance, but anyway, letter Kenny's off the list. My favorite Canadian show, and this will age me is you can't do that on television. Okay. For the kids out there that don't know, this was uh, late 70s, early, mid. I think, it, I think it ran from like 79 to 90. Okay. This was like SNL for kids. They did little skits. They did funny stuff. Uh, so you might know the name Alanis Morissette. She got her start on You Can't Do That on Television. So I was right in that age in the early 80s where there wasn't a lot of television options. Yeah. Kids today are totally spoiled. Like You Can't Do That on Television was funny. It was like these weird kids from Canada. I think it was filmed in Ontario or Ottawa. Uh, they all had accents and it was kind of funny. And if you, if you enjoy the Nickelodeon slime gag, 
that originated on you can't do that on television that was where slime originated and nickelodeon has since sort of kept that going so my favorite canadian uh show is you can't do that on television so that ages you quite a bit because i was born in 79 and brian just told us he was born in 83 um I, I actually remember that show and obviously remember Alanis Morissette who can't uh, when we talk about Canadian music. Ruth Buzzy. Remember Ruth Buzzy? No, I've never heard of her. <laughs> no fucking She was on that fucking. show? Anyway. Really? Yeah. Alanis is sort of like, that's a thing I was, oh, she got her start on television. It's kind of like Britney and Justin Timberlake with the Mickey Mouse yeah. Club. Is it really similar to that? Okay, I'll tell you what my favorite show and I, I put the recent ones there. There's great, like if old school SCTV where most Canadian comedians started, but by far, I, I absolutely love trailer park boys and I love letter Kenny Shit's Creek's cool. Like I'm sure you guys have watched it, obviously quite popular getting the Emmy nominations, but mm-hmm. letter Kenny to me is hilarious coming from, and your wife is actually born in New Brunswick, right? In my correct, district, correct. where I'm born. So I'm coming from the East coast, yeah. uh, similar to your wife, but I, I really, I grew up in the country. I'm not sure where she grew up, but it, it really reminds me of how I grew up with the- I mean, the all of Canada besides community. like two or three places is the country. So the country is where she grew up. My favorite is Trilla Park Boys in the last little while I grew up. In- I've never seen it. Can I see so this show? You have to watch it. You got to start from- like, Is it Netflix? Where can I watch this show? Yeah, it's on Netflix US. Say so, before, I, before I even got to Canada, so originally- <laughs> Obviously from New Zealand, Had, didn't know much about Canada, but I'd almost seen, I think there's 13 um, series, uh, episode series. Um, okay. of, they've done a lot of them. And I, I'd seen at least 10 of those seasons um, before I even arrived here. So, and to be honest, like when I first started watching it and my, my friends introduced me to it, I wasn't sure if it was, it's a mockumentary, but I actually, I was, <laughs> I was legitimately like, I'm not sure if it was real or not because the acting is so so on point and the camera angles and the way that the the, the styling of this mockumentary and the sort of cinematography around it it looks and feels really real and i didn't know much about canada at the time and so arguably that was how i became educated about canada was through through trailer park boys so when i arrived <laughs> um in vancouver my perception was quite different than than um what i was expecting i guess you could say so but i love it i love it it's so funny ricky julian bubbles those guys are hilarious and um I'll, I'll, comedians and yeah i'll tell you julian actually drinks rum and coke all the time so big like yeah, a big play in the show is Julian always has a rum and coke no matter where he goes. Uh, <laughs> like it doesn't matter. He's holding that rum and coke, uh, and he drinks exactly the same in a bar. First time I saw him, he was actually uh, holding a rum and coke. So wow. And so would you say that is your favorite Canadian show? Oh yeah, easily, easily. I love that show. I wow. I, I think it's so hilarious and so well done. Joe, yeah, you got to watch it. It's, it's very funny. Brian Brian just talked more passionately about that show than he ever has about his startup. So that gives you an idea <laughs> of how good this show must it's be. It's much better than my startup. That's for sure. <laughs> Perfect. Well, everyone listening, do definitely check out Trailer Park Boys. And Brian, you've you moved to Vancouver. Have you seen all of Canada or you've just you you've never gone east of BC? 
Um, no, I spent some time over a, a couple of years ago in summertime on the East Coast. So I went to um, Prince Edward Island and um, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, and uh, it's so beautiful out there. And uh, the people are amazing. And um, I spent a lot of time there. And my wife is from uh, Toronto, born in uh, Niagara Falls. So I spent a bit of time over in that area as well. Haven't okay. spent a lot of time in Alberta up in Calgary, I'll be honest. Just a few weeks here and there. Just go to yeah. just skip Calgary. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, it, it's interesting because all our wives are from Canada, so that's the thing we have in common, I guess. So, yeah, something, something special about those Canadian women. Man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Something special. So let's jump into our topic. So there's there's a bunch of topics. There's we're going through um, quite a bit of change when it comes to what recruitment looks like in 2021. But one of the things that I've been really keeping a close eye and it's been really interesting, I figure, well, since I have an American joining the show, this I think is a great topic. Uh, I want to talk about minimum wage in the U.S. So mind-blowing that minimum wage is such a challenge. And, and Joel, please correct me if I'm wrong. My, oh, I, will. Um, I do follow American politics, but I'm still confused as hell most of the time of what's actually happening. So as part of the COVID relief bill, one of the proposals is $15 minimum wage, uh, which is probably not going to go through if I'm reading it right, which really blows my mind if you think about the worker. If you look at it right now, the minimum wage in the US has not changed in 11 years. So last time it changed, it went up to $7.25. Um, and if you put in perspective, the cost of living has gone up at least 20%. And then if you look even in housing, that has gone up almost 30%. Mm -hmm. So the average rent in last time uh, minimum wage was changed was $1,132. So this is the whole US. So I'm sure like major cities are driving this. And now it's $1,470 a mm -hmm. month. Dramatic increase. Is it? So what's your thoughts? I'll start with you, Joel. In reality, what's going on? Like, it's uh, the GDP in the US is killing it. The economy is strong. Uh, profits are an all time high. They're just not sharing it. Sure. And, and one of the things you, you did not mention uh, is the discrepancy between the highest and the lowest. So, when you look at the, the disparity in wealth in our country, um, it's uh, it's pretty incredible. And in history, history teaches us that that doesn't end very well uh, for the ones at the top with all the money. Um, so so there has to be some equality in that. I think when it's it, when it's hard for f folks outside of the U.S. to understand uh, why that's such an issue, um, I think a lot of it goes to our our DNA, um, and part of it is political. So uh, you know, the the rugged individualism, the capitalism, uh, you know child labor and, and, uh, you know, um, a lot of things that should have happened really early are, have just happened in the last hundred years. So looking at wages, you know, the argument goes from everything, uh, to it's going to kill jobs. Uh, so if, if I'm a, a small business to pay people, you know, double what it is now. So if it goes from seven fifty to $15, like I can't hire more, I can't, I got to lay off people. I can't hire more people because the money's going like, where's the money going? Um, or, you know, it's, it's going to cost jobs, um, unemployment's going to rise. There'll be fewer businesses open because they can't afford the labor that comes with it. So that's sort of the, the other side of it that you get to. 
but I think it's getting harder and harder to defend. It's been over a decade since we've upped it. And in that time, the richest of the rich has got, have gotten a whole lot richer, like GDP of countries richer, right? Not a few million dollars. So, um, I think the current situation is primarily political. Um, and you have the Democrats really holding firm at 15. I think, I think the Republicans would, would do it if there was a compromise, right? To go from seven to 15 is a pretty big void. If it, you know, could we, could we agree on 12? Yeah. Could we agree on 13? Maybe, um, you know, the, the fact there wasn't any compromise. And I think the fact that it was thrown in as part of a, um, a recovery bill or part of a ease, ease the pain of the worker or ease the pain of the people bill or pandemic bill, I think was looked by a lot of Republicans as, as you know, sort of pork belly, throw it in and try to get it passed. Um, and you had some Democrats that want it higher. Um, so I don't know. Winston Churchill has a, a comment about Americans and I'm going to, I'm going to paraphrase, but it's basically Americans are really good at doing the right thing when they've exhausted every other option. <clears throat> and it's so true. Like even, even with the pandemic, like we've finally kind of got our shit together. Um, of course, when I say that Texas and Mississippi are like, fuck the mask, we're done. Uh, but, but we do eventually kind of come around to doing the right thing. Um, minimum wage is one of those hard ones to figure out, but, um, we have to eventually come to grips with that. There are two worlds in America. There are two realities in America. And at some point, uh, that's not going to work. And this isn't, this isn't my core competency, you know, these social cultural trends and what goes yeah. on. But, um, I can tell you that minimum wage used to be, Hey, high school kid, a little extra cash. You know, it, it wasn't, it was a starting point, but it was never supposed to be the living. It was never supposed to be like, I'm going to serve, you know, tacos at, you know, whatever for my rest of my life. And, and it, it has become with the destruction of construction jobs, coal mining jobs, uh, manufacturing jobs, like as all those jobs left, those minimum wage service jobs that historically were minimum wage became actual, I need to make a living doing this. And we need to come to grips with that's the new reality of our economy and help those folks that are barely getting by on seven fifty an hour. Yeah, it's interesting. The counterpoints that you mentioned there were exactly the same counterpoints we got here in Canada. Topic, I was actually curious to see what was happening back home in New Zealand. And they're actually increasing theirs from $18.90 $18. to $20 per hour starting April 1st. So they're way ahead. And my understanding is this, in Australia, they're even, I think the minimum wage is even higher. So um, that, that's a huge difference. And one of the, one of the interesting things as well, um, like being, being from another part of the world and coming to North America was the, the whole system of tipping and, you know, where, where I'm from, you don't really, you don't tip servers or, you know, for your, your, your hair, hairdresser or anything like that, or your taxi driver, it's just not part of our culture. It's not required. Yeah. Um, and probably because of the minimum wage. And so you come to North America and, and you realize you've got to throw in 20% for your food bill or, you know, for your hairdresser or whatever it may be. And I kind of think like, well, is that the consumer topping up what they, what these professionals should be getting paid anyways, you know, at, at the expense of, of the consumer footing the bill for what is sort of like an arbitrary sort of minimum wage 
because you had 20% on, but the consumer's taking care of that and not the government. So it's a really interesting thing for me to arrive in. And I know that a lot of people from, from around the world sort of feel the same way or are confused by tipping and, and are surprised that we got to tip our hairdresser and things like that. And um, so that, that's a whole nother topic of something that yeah. I didn't know yeah. if anyone else does it, you know? Yeah. And a co- couple of dynamics that are, that are fairly, well, so our DNA is, it tends to be capitalistic, driven. Um, it tends to be marketplace driven. And so when you have, you know, Costco just announced a uh, $16 an hour minimum wage, you've got Target announcing, you know, somewhere in the same range, you've got Walmart saying that they're going to, they're going to come in the same, uh, the same rate. So the, the capitalist would say, okay, let the market decide what the minimum wage is. Because if Target, Costco, and Walmart are paying $15 an hour, then you know the mom and pop whatever competitor is not going to be able to hire good people because they're all going to go to Walmart, Target, and Costco, and I think Amazon as well is up there in that range. So the the argument would be like, well, let the market decide what minimum wage should be, um, which we're starting to kind of see. We're seeing these big box retailers and companies uh, pay a lot more than what the minimum wage is, and you also get the argument of like, well. $7 in, in Mississippi is not the same $7 as it is in New York City or mm-hmm. San Francisco or Chicago. So that's also a debate where what is what should the floor be? And obviously the floor in New York City should be much higher than the floor in uh, you know Biloxi, Mississippi. So that's an argument that we get into here. Uh, well, the way we case. handle it in Canada is, is driven by the province. Uh, so based in the province, because similar, like a minimum wage in Toronto compared to yeah. um, Edmonton, uh, New Brunswick are going to be completely different as far as that context. So I, I, I don't disagree with what you're saying, Joel, as far as let the market dictate it. But what we've seen in just letting the market dictate it is, 11 years without any changes and people lining up their pockets. And I think you said it correctly that it never ends well. Uh, It never ends well at the end of the day. Uh, There's so much going on in the U S but Hey, let's segue into your topics. uh, Joel, I, I, you've got a ton and uh, I'm sure you want to. So, so uh, uh, I'd love to rub it in your face of how much our our vaccination rate versus you guys, but I won't do that. Um, But I will, (laughs) You're hitting a sore point right there. I know, I know. You, you went after my capitalism, so I got to take a, a bite there somewhere. Uh, so, so clearly, clearly, the world is opening up, or at least the light is at the end of the tunnel. And I think there are there are many issues around the reopening of the world uh, that impact recruiting, employment uh, to a to a really a vast degree. So, I've got the sort of. Post-COVID reopening, I've got four little subsections, and we can talk about each one individually. If you guys have your own, that's fine too. So my first one is the work from home phenomenon, right? On one side of the aisle, you have it's never going back. Like we're work from home. If you're if you're an educated, knowledge-based worker, you can do it all from your house. No one's going back to the office. And you've also got we're going back. Like as soon as as soon as we can, uh, we're doing it. And then you have hybrids in the middle let's call it uh, the Salesforce model that they're saying, hey, uh, you can decide at home always, you can decide at work always or at the office always, or you can have sort of a hybrid where Monday and Wednesday and Friday, you're at home and then Tuesday and Thursday, you come in the office. So what do you guys think about work from home and and what happens after the world opens up? Ryan, jump in. 
Yeah, so I mean, it's a it's a huge topic right now, um, and we yeah we don't know what's going to happen in the future, and it's been really interesting to watch how the work from home has really impacted the the job market. I I specialize in more tech recruiting, right? So mm-hmm. it's been interesting to watch um, companies that I've recruited for in the past, um, whether as an, as a client when I was on the agency side or when I was doing some internal consulting. You know, they were not open to remote workers because they wanted everyone in the office and, and they would, they're a tech company, but they still weren't progressive in that way. But now, now that they've been forced to have to go that route, what they've found is that they are hiring a lot, like on one side of the fence, it's easier to hire tech professionals from outside of you know, your local geographic area. So it's like, yeah, well, one argument would say it, that totally opens up the talent pool you know, I'm in Vancouver, but I can hire out of Toronto or Montreal market, no problems now, but before I wouldn't do that. But then it's also harder in a way because now you've got all the other companies hiring out of Vancouver, you know, and, and we've seen a lot of um, US-based companies, especially um, come into the Vancouver market. And one example is I'm, I'm doing some consulting for a, a tech recruiting firm and they had a client call up and say, hey, we're looking to bring on um, a team of Ruby engineers and we're willing to pay up to 180,000 Canadian for someone that comes with five years of experience, which is 30%, 40% more than, than what you, the market here in Vancouver. And so, yes, it opens up your talent pool, um, but it also opens up everyone else's talent pool. So there's a lot more poaching of staff going on. Um, so it's going to be really, it, it's going, how it impacts the, the tech market and recruiting. It's going to be interesting to watch, but my prediction is that companies are going to have to maintain a significant work from home portion of their workforce and technology, because otherwise they'll find it difficult to hire people. Because I think a lot of tech people, software engineers, et cetera, and now working from Squamish or from Whistler or have moved out to Kamloops or, you know, have moved out of Vancouver downtown and now work, you know, remotely and they live a much better lifestyle. Um, and so the companies that do not offer remote working will have more challenge in, in hiring good people, in my opinion. So, so you lean on the work from home is going to be the standard, at least with the knowledge yeah, base workers. I, I think that'll be like candidate driven. I think companies will realize that we have to offer this or continue to offer it because candidates are turning down job offers because because of that, because yeah. because other companies are able to do it. And, so, and where where are you? I guess both you guys. Where are you on on pay equity? So Chad and I we we debate this all the time, and you know a, a programmer in San Francisco working for Facebook, if they decide I'm going to move to Toledo, Ohio, you know historically they should not make the same money that they did in San Francisco, uh, which has historically been the case which he would argue, no, that he, if he moves to Toledo, he or she moves to Toledo, they should make the same amount. Now, what Spotify comes and does is the total gangster recruitment move and says, we're going to pay you the same no matter where you live, which to me is free market. The companies are saying, if you want to get the best of the best, you're going to have to pay them the top wages no matter where they live. Do you guys agree that that's the trend? It, well, I, I agree that's definitely the trend. I don't know if I agree completely that it should be the case. Like if yeah. you're in, in Toledo and compared to San Fran, there's there's reasons they were paying you more to be in that market and being in the office. And you're you're going to Toledo or you're going wherever the place is. The market is completely different. So yeah. the company is giving you the flexibility to go live where you're at. Like in reality, 
to give you that flexibility, you should be flexible in how much you're getting yeah. paid is my mentality. But I'll, I'll give you a couple when it comes from, uh, I'm in tech recruiting too. And I completely think the tech world when it comes to recruiting and staffing is going to be exactly the model that you mentioned as far as you're going to have the option. Um, remote is here to stay. But where we're seeing in other industries, even knowledge workers, I don't think it's going to be the case. The challenge we have right now is all CEOs are generally boomers. And I'm calling out the boomers in a way is they are more comfortable if you're in the office. They cannot relate. They, they hate the Zoom shit. They hate. So they're going to try to drive people back in the office. Is it going to work? I don't think it will work long term. Then we like most of the economy is driven by workers, the construction workers, the grocery store workers, all these people, their lives are not going to change. So sometimes we think about it too holistically in the sense that it's like everyone, because we're in tech, we think everyone's now going to work from home. I don't think it's the case. I think. And, and there, you know, we, we talked about mental health earlier, you know I mean? And there's a, there's a culture question there too, an employment branding question. If you go deeper is, people that all work on their own little island, can they really create a culture? And what does that look like, right? It's it's only when people get together. Uh, one of our favorite interviews is Douglas Atkin, who wrote the book on, on branding. Uh, yeah. Check it out. And he talks about when he worked at Airbnb, even though they're a really disparate company, they would once a year bring everybody together, rub them till they became sticky, and that helped create a culture at the company and this world of like we're own little fiefdoms seems really empty in some ways. So I think there's gotta be some humanity uh, and culture creation as we move forward. And I'm not, I'm not sure those answers have, or those questions have been answered. No, I, I don't disagree. I just don't know if it needs to be in the office every day to create that culture. Um, yeah. like and what, what happens to office space, right? So like you've got a big office building and 50% say I'm coming back or at least part-time coming back. You've got 50% of your office space that's empty. What well, happens to that? We're going to see a massive real estate um, transition in the next five to 10 years because these towers are going to be empty. We're just going to see a ton of condos in major yeah. city centers. That, and I know here in Calgary, our, because oil and gas is our main industry and that's gone to shit, uh, in reality, I think it's 40% of our office space is vacant right now. And the strategy by the city is like, let's get tech companies to move in. I'm like, well, you're fucking wasting your time because they do not want to come to work in an office. You won't be able to get them. So yeah. one of my yeah. predictions was that uh, Airbnb would launch Airbnb work, where you basically on your phone went to work when you wanted to. You had a little section with other coworkers or, uh, and then companies would basically buy you credits to go to an office if you wanted to and just kind of pop in and out. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see if that happens or not. So my 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 second one uh, in a post-COVID world is automation. The beginning of the pandemic, we saw recruiting uh, freeze up for a lot of companies, uh, if not practicality, just in fear. Uh, and inevitably, they're going to either hire those folks back and have the people recruit the people or I think a lot of companies took stock in saying, okay, there's a lot of cool technology out there that can do a lot of the recruiting that we had people do before the pandemic. So the question that I have as we open the world back up is, are companies going to go back to the sort of uh, headcount heavy work environment for their recruitment team? 
is there going to be more outsourcing? Is uh, technology and automation going to take a lot of those jobs off the plate? Is it a hybrid of all of that? You guys are, are on the front lines of that as recruiters. What do you think? Ryan, jump. Yeah, I'll, I'll go. Yeah, so uh, that's a really interesting topic and and um, and question. My my thoughts are that the recruiting world, at least in, in my region and just sort of my, my awareness of of this region and being in more in Canada, really, is that it will go back to how it was. I think the adoption of new modern technology, modern automation technology by recruiting companies, recruiting teams, recruiting leaders in Canada is a bit behind the eight ball in terms of what I've seen in other geographies, especially like the Silicon Valley. So the the adoption and acceptance of, of automation technology, I don't think is gonna is is gonna um, be strong when things go back to normal. I think eventually we'll get there, but we seem to be laggards in in my in my opinion in that space. There's not much um, sort of more progressive use of automation type technology that I've seen um, from recruiting leaders um, in this area anyways. So I, I personally, I think it's going to go back to, to, to how it was. I think, um, there will be more utilizing, um, of tools like text recruiting and, and more sort of light automation type, maybe some chatbot type stuff, but I, and from a headcount perspective, I don't see that changing. Yeah, Brian, I, I'm exactly the same uh, on the same page. If we look at Canada, we are laggard when it comes to recruitment technology across the board. And it's partly leadership that we have. It's also um, the risks. We're very risk adverse when it comes to trying new things and looking bad and bringing a new tool inside the company. Uh, I think it's going to take a little time. And obviously, we're a little bit biased being in the tech recruitment space. Like We really never stopped. And I'm assuming it's the same for you, Brian. But a lot of companies have not brought in their recruiters again. They've been trying to, they haven't automated and they haven't brought in the recruiters, just giving the current recruiters way more work to do, <laughs> which <Yeah>. is we're <laughs> seeing recruiter burnout across Canada like you wouldn't believe. In reality, I see it firsthand, like the type of volume that I'm seeing on my day job is I've never seen it before. And it took me it took me four months to get approval for that headcount, that four headcounts that I had before COVID that we laid off to get that headcount again. So there is a, a massive hesitancy across the board. So to answer your question, uh, Joel, I, I think it's in Canada, we're, we're fucked. Like in reality, the recruiter world <laughs> here is going to be challenged for the next little while. Yeah. Uh, there is not a lot of, um, there's, there's not a big poll for automating anything, which I think, we're making a major mistake. Uh, yeah. we're, we're in deep shit. Because in reality, you want to automate the shit that you don't want to do. And the stuff that recruiters should be really good at is the relation, the hiring manager relationship and the recruiter and um, and the candidate relationship. We need to excel, but we're, we're missing the boat. And anytime yeah. I see a fucking article about ghosting candidates, I kind of get pissed because I'm like, reality, I'm trying to deal a volume. And sometimes I just can't get to it. And I try to do everything to automate that aspect. But yeah. I'll tell you something, six months ago, a year ago, a year and a half ago, I was getting, getting ghosted by candidates every fucking day. And then there was no articles or Bridget on LinkedIn or whatever, Elizabeth, uh, Liz Ryan was yeah. not writing of how we should not be ghosting candidates because uh, it yeah. was the opposite. So anyways, gotcha. my thoughts. Uh, okay. So, uh, so that leads us into our third section. Uh, 
the war for talent. Uh, according to the pundits, jobs are going to go nuts. People are going to go crazy. Uh, it's going to be the roaring 20s all over again. Based on your last answer, I'm assuming you think there are going to be a lot more recruiting jobs available, that people are just going to load up on armies of recruiters to fill these spots that they're going to need to fulfill the need of of the consumers. I think so. Yeah. Um, I don't know, Brian, how you feel, but I think what we're going to see, the war for talent, especially in the tech sector or sectors, the knowledge economy is just going to get tighter and tighter. And you mentioned it earlier, Brian, when you remove the barriers that we had before, as far as where you can recruit, like it's, it's open season, like across the board. Um, so I don't know how you feel, Brian, are, are you feeling the same that the work for talent is going to get more intense? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's already here and in, in Vancouver anyways, and, and it's been interesting to watch the impact of COVID-19 on the local tech economy. And we had a few months in, in March, March, April and May last year, where it was quieter. But since then, it's it's been booming, and uh, it's actually we've we've never honestly been busier before in tech recruiting, and and it's not just tech; like it's 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 most sort of knowledge worker jobs. It's highly competitive, um, and maybe that's just a sort of little bubble that we're in here in Vancouver. It's more of a tech hub, and we have some good industry that's kept us pretty buoyant. Um, like we don't have oil and gas, which I know has been hit hit pretty hard over the years, but the war for talent is is raging right now in yeah. vancouver and has been for months so um so and, so and yeah so for brian and and sure just because you've been doing this for a long time so the the people listening that are like yeah we know it's coming but it, we're not seeing it our in our industry yet what advice would you give them to prepare for the onslaught of job seekers and and jobs are gonna have to fill and like what advice would you give them uh i guess to to man the ship and get ready for the invading army Automate everything you can fucking <laughs> automate. Uh, automate scheduling, automate process, automate anything aside from the two points I said earlier. How about you, Brian? What's your advice? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's like really being strategic about how you can do more with less. Um, if your recruiting team is not going to grow, then how are you going to increase their productivity? And the, one of the easiest way to do that is just to be able to automate some of those sort of mundane time-consuming tasks that um, recruiters get bogged down with, which stops them from doing the real high-value work. Yeah. Um, but there is no real quick and easy answer to that. It's just going to be a lot of hard work, and you're going to have to have a really strong value proposition. Your recruiters yeah. are going to have to be armed with like a really strong elevator pitch um, to, to, to generate interest from when they're tapping candidates on the shoulder and saying, hey, we've got something really cool over here. Come work here. And, and like, so you need to really arm your recruiters with a, a flag to wave in front of candidates' face to get their attention. And yeah, I, I the, think a the lot, other advice uh, I would give on that, and sorry, Brian, uh, is when yeah. it comes to employment brand, stop with this fucking bullshit of stock photos and these aspirational uh, employee value proposition that everyone knows are not true. Just say the truth. Say what sucks about your company, what's really good. Be realistic. Put actual real people on your website, on your career page, on your job ads. It's probably the one thing that I've seen some improvement. I'm seeing more user-generated content being done by companies, which I think is, is a massive impact. But yeah, automate your employer brand. Make it real. Like I, I It drives me fucking crazy when I see like 90% of these corporations do that. But 
So on that speaking, note, speaking of driving crazy, something that drives me crazy. So what about the the ATS that's full of candidates right now? How about the you know the talent management system or the the pool that you have? Do you guys have a sense of the penetration of companies that are actually farming their current database? Because technically, those should be the companies as we open up that should be able to crush everybody else. Right, yeah, it's not I enough, mean, right? Well, the, that's a recruitment culture thing. So what recruiters love to do, and I, I, I can't train this out of the recruiters that I do some consulting for, for some of the teams, they love to go to LinkedIn first. You know, like it's like, oh, new job comes in, new rec to hire. Let's go to LinkedIn. Let's find some new candidates. And I'm like, guys, like everybody else. Gold mine. <laughs> the, yeah. Your, LinkedIn is the same database, the same ATS that all recruiters yeah. are using, you know? It's Let's, like if all the single guys yeah. went to the same bar to get the same yes. girl, right? Yeah, but it's just this automatic, yeah, it's, it's maybe it's the UI is more friendly or it's just, I'm not sure why, but yeah. the ATS is like one of those really unforgotten, um, like there's a lot of diamonds and you know, gemstones in there that you can dig out, but sure. it's just hard to get recruiters to go that way, no matter how much you, you, you can try to convince them otherwise. Yeah, I think it's a massive challenge. And I say this all the time. You should be nurturing your candidates. The first place you should always look is your ATS. And you should be nurturing those candidates in your ATS. Should have a CRM or like candidate ID. You need something, the ability to nurture these yeah. candidates because that is your competitive advantage. And the main reason I never recruited on LinkedIn or even Indeed, even though I'm an Indeed alumni is I would do when I worked in like transportation, I would target Facebook groups and I would do Facebook targeted ads for these people because that's where they're at. So LinkedIn and Indeed to me in Canada are, it's just so much competition that you're competing against everyone in the world, try to do something different. But on that note, one of the things that is being done different and I I am full disclosure, I am a customer and I've used you at different companies I've worked at, Brian. What tell us a little bit about Rectax? Yeah, yeah, just really quickly. Um, so Rectax is a text recruiting platform um, that myself and Brad Clark co-founded a few years ago. We're recruiters, and we've both been recruiting since the mid two thousands. And we saw the the big need and, and impact of of text messaging with candidates. And you know, through our own personal stories. Um, we created Rectex to solve solve the problem of, of allowing recruiters to text with candidates, you know, safely, if compliantly, and, and efficiently, and 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 integrated with an ATS. So, we um the the story goes we were um looking for our own needs. I was I was managing a team of tech recruiters, and one of the female recruiters started getting um, late night texts from one of one of her candidates, and uh, it made yeah, it really uncomfortable. Me. That was you. <laughs> what did you say yeah. that was me yeah. um yeah <laughs> and uh yeah so i thought well okay well so she didn't want to text the candidates anymore and i thought well there's got to be a good system out there um to to, to to allow recruiters to you know text with candidates without having to use their personal cell phones and and brad was looking for the same thing he was consulting and he was texting candidates from his own personal phone and uh he was getting like his, his inbox was getting mixed up and he just wanted to have two separate lives, essentially a work life with a work texting phone number and then a, a personal life. And uh, after we discovered, we did some discovery of, of what software is available out there and everything was just really big and really expensive, like very cost prohibitive. And so we thought, well, 
we, we're a small business. We can't afford this stuff. And there must be a lot of other companies that are, you know, small, medium-sized teams that need this, this technology but can't afford it, right, or don't have access to it. So we started Rectex. We, we built this um, text recruiting, like, really cool little Chrome extension, and we started using it ourselves and just testing it. Um, I got the team using it. Brad was using it every day. And, and, you know, from there we started, once we realized, like, hey, this is a good product. It's working for us. We started to, to get it out in the public and that's when we met Joel on the same day when we announced that we were actually opening it up to to everyone and, and since then it's been really cool to see the adoption of, of of our platform we have some really big companies which surprised us that chose our company our product over some of the other vendors even though we don't have all the the bells and whistles that some of these other bigger more expensive software platforms have we just have it really easy to use really user friendly um, and that's why a lot of our customers love our love our software because it's just so quick and easy to, to pick up and to start texting. So, in short, it's been, really it's been champagne and cocaine ever since we met Joel. That's <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the lesson. Joel, Joel was the big difference maker for sure. Yeah, <laughs> so, so how can went up. <laughs> how can they find you? So it's it's rectex r e c t x t dot com, right? That's right. Yep. Even if you spell it wrong, it'll it'll go to our website. So, yeah, r e c t x t dot com. I know Joel always has a bit of a laugh at, at company names, so we, we've received um, some 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 funny comments from him as well. But yeah, it's short for recruitment texting. So there we go. RECTXT, check us out um, and just, yeah, get in touch. Perfect. So Joel, how has this been? Is this a better experience than co-hosting? This is good. Jeff? We didn't get to my fourth point. If we're out of time, we're out of time. But we didn't get to my fourth uh, opening up, reopening category. I, I, I cut you off on purpose. We're running out of time. So I right. think we're <laughs> That just means you have to bring me back at some point. Well, yeah, I think we need to bring you back pretty <laughs> much every week. I'm, I'm working with Chad on a trade, um, Shelly, for you. I think I'm getting the raw deal. I might need like a second round draft pick included with that or something, but um, I'll take it. So second. not too painful. You enjoyed it, Joel? Uh, of course. This is, uh, you know, we had our first date. That's out of the way. This is our second. So, you know, by the third, I might put out. Who knows? That's like Usually it only takes a couple of dates, but uh, a little bit disappointed to hear that. Uh, I'm not as I'm not as cool as you, Serge. Yeah. I got I to work for it. You gotta work. Exactly. I gotta work for it, man. Ryan, amazing uh, to meet you face to face. I know we've talked quite a bit in the past, so love what Rectex is doing. Really appreciate you joining the show with us. So, on that note, peace out. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast, Banking Transformed, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.